Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 39. Continuing with Part 2 of Windows. Any number of window and sash combinations can be found in a variety of applications within existing historic and older buildings. While wood was the material of choice throughout the mid-19th century, a variety of window frames and sashes have been introduced in the past 150 years. All have gone through varying levels of maintenance over the years, leaving some in relatively operational condition and others in extremely poor physical and visual conditions. A number of repair and upgrade methodologies have been developed to allow the retention of historic windows. Many window products were produced in the late 20th century for new construction and their use as replacement units for existing buildings formed a secondary market that was huge. When replacement windows were recognized as a viable product for historic buildings, a number of window manufacturers developed products specifically for that market segment, while others sold their existing products with little regard to compatibility for historic buildings. And in in some of these instances, you see... uh, um, I've seen buildings that they're, the opening size of the actual window frame has been reduced, some up to 20%, and they have uh, you know, very wide aluminum and vinyl that almost looks like a framing around the window. So they're taking you know, really small windows, sticking them in large window openings, and it just destroys the house beyond destroying the original fabric of the house. Some manufacturers adopted custom-made windows as part of their sales operations. Therefore, it is important to verify that the windows sold be a specific vendor, by a specific vendor meet the requirements for the historic building being rehabilitated after determining that the existing windows cannot be made usable. So I'm going to push forward describing several key strategies and processes available for remediating problems with existing window issues. In residential construction, windows installed prior to the turn of the 20th century were traditionally fabricated from wood. After about 1890, metal sash and frames were introduced and competed directly with wood windows. Until the mid-20th century, most windows included single-pane glazing systems with a variety of storm window options to accompany them. Many windows were operable and served as the primary non-mechanical means to provide cooling and ventilation prior to the advent of air conditioning. Double-hung windows were viewed as particularly useful because by lowering the top sash, warm air can be trapped at the ceiling, and this could be removed. Conversely, the lower sash could be raised to admit relatively cooler air. Windows were also intended to admit daylight to the interior spaces of the building. Some windows were fixed in place, non-operable, and used only to admit daylight as glass panels to interior doors. To aid in the light and airflow into interior spaces, while maintaining the privacy and security of a closed door, operable transoms were located above interior and exterior doors, and this occurred somewhere probably in the second quarter of the 19th century. 
Early windows were small and a few in number, in part due to technology limitations and in part due to taxes on glass. As technology improved and glass became more readily available, windows grew in size and number. The finest examples of 18th century architectural styles features an exuberant display of windows. The 19th century saw a multiplication of windows placed in groupings of two and threes, as well as the introduction of what was later referred to as the picture window. As the century progressed, the number of individual lights in the window, such as sash, was reduced as the size of the window panes increased. Ironically, after the American Centennial in 1876, when manufacturing could produce larger expanses of glazing, the revival of housing styles of bygone days to reproduce larger expanses of glazing was introduced and the smaller casement plane and double hung window. By the turn of the 20th century, steel windows were also available and were worked into the period revival styles, as well as appearing in the international art deco and art modern styles, highly popularized in the 1920s and 1930s. This period also introduced the use of clear and prismatic glass blocks as glazing. Post-World War II, America found itself on the now well-documented path to suburbia. The metal fabrication processes perfected during the war were now directed at the American homeowner. New construction in the 1950s featured windows made from aluminum. This era was introduced in the use of widespread aluminum storm windows and window screen combination windows that were used on new and older buildings alike, much to the aesthetic detriment of many of these historic buildings. Historically, commercial construction for offices used many of the same ventilation and daylighting practices to apply to residential construction. Tall, double-hung windows enabled the daylight and a modicum of ventilation comfort. Interior glazing panels with obscure glass components comprised of embossed or etched panes allow light to enter interior spaces while provided limited privacy. Commercial offices and industrial workspaces were the first major uses of steel-framed windows. At the turn of the 20th century, a more detailed discussion of glazing in retail storefronts will be presented in future episodes. Institutional buildings, such as hospitals and schools, also promoted the use of operable windows and daylighting and followed similar usage patterns in materials and practices um, once the, the steel frames were adopted by the construction industry and sashes early in the 20th century. Along with the problems associated with wood and architectural metals identified um, in earlier episodes, windows experienced problems related to structural failure, missing features, and intensive replacement. Structural failure most frequently occurs as a result of moisture and subsequent corrosion, rot, or insect damage. 
Window sash is highly vulnerable to moisture problems due to the condensation and freezing that occur at and around single-pane glass and steel sash that has no thermal breaks incorporated into it. Due to the higher thermal conductivity of single-pane glass and steel window sash, the inside surface temperature of the window materials is significantly lower than that of the other. Better insulated building materials resulted. Warm, moist air inside a building cools when it touches the colder glass surface. The moisture condenses onto the windows, sash and frame, and subsequently collects at the horizontal surfaces of the window assembly. Combined with deteriorated surface coatings, the moisture penetrates the wood and accelerates deterioration. This problem can occur even when the storm windows are present. In this instance, two factors are at work. First, as caulking, weather stripping, and window putty deteriorate, moist air can work and can move through the resultant gaps and cause condensation between the window and the storm window. Concurrently, poor maintenance of the storm window can cause the weep holes provided to allow moisture relief between the windows to become blocked and trap the moist air. The condensation and deterioration processes also affect the metal frames and sash. The condensation and deterioration processes also affect other things as corrosion and rot. This deteriorated, these deteriorated components eventually fail and the window framing system will fall apart. One common misguided attempt at maintenance that contributes to this problem has been to repeatedly paint the surfaces of the sash and mutton bars without properly preparing or repairing the surfaces of the damaged areas or repairing the path of the moisture penetration. Long-term moisture condensation can also cause early ferrous metal lintel systems above a window to corrode, deteriorate, and fail in place. The subsequent causes the structure above the window to fail and the shifting materials of the building envelop and impinge onto the window itself. A second problem with windows is a loss of character-defining features due to vandalism or poor maintenance that resulted in their decay and removal eventually. Commonly, when a matching window element was not readily available, a substitution was made that did not match the appearance of the original window. In the 1950s and 60s, when aluminum siding or simulated masonry products such as permastone was applied to older buildings to reduce maintenance and in the 1970s when new siding was installed to reduce energy costs, the decorative trim elements and accessory items were removed from windows to provide a flat surface to which the siding was attached. This practice continues today with the installation of vinyl siding. The third problem, intensive replacement. This is very insensitive and it is both a standalone condition and one indirectly related to the previous problem. Often throughout the 18th to 20th centuries, the original window is no longer seemed appropriate to the owner's aesthetic needs or maintenance preferences. Hence, for example, in the home, 
the wood double-hung windows were removed and replaced with the picture window or an aluminum slider of different dimensions. The window opening was altered to accommodate the new window and the remaining open portions of the original opening were filled, often with visually incompatible materials. While this practice was seen as a fashionable updating of a building's window system, it has resulted in a variety of later period window types being added to earlier period buildings. The standards recognize that these later replacements may have become part of the historic fabric and do not mandate a return to the earlier window systems. However, if such a return is contemplated, the standards do require that the replacements be based on documented evidence, which will be photographs, written descriptions, and or physical evidence. The movement toward the reduction of maintenance needs in the 1950s and 1960s and the energy crisis of the 1970s produced the trend of replacing larger wood-framed and steel-framed single-paned windows designed to admit daylight with other fenestration systems. For wood windows, this replacement initially involved the use of aluminum-framed and subsequently vinyl windows. For steel-framed windows, it involved a variety of translucent fiberglass insulated window panel systems used in modern fenestration systems. As it turned out, none of these approaches were found to comply with the standards and consequently caused a furor in the preservation community. Since windows play such an important role in the visual historic integrity of a building, the standards are, quote, specific on the subject of how to approach their repair and or replacement. Many deteriorated windows can be repaired or have replacement sashes, frames, and casements installed. When replacements occur, care should be taken to match the sash profiles, the opening sizes, and the number of lights per sash. These strategies will be discussed in later episodes. So let's let's talk about repair strategies. A long-held philosophy of preservation practice first stated by A.N. Didron in 1839, stated that it is better to preserve than to restore and better to restore than to reconstruct. This statement implies that the best strategy is to preserve an object rather than to repair, restore, or replace it. While applicable to any number of historic materials, this statement is especially true for windows. For buildings that have been well-maintained, Rehabilitation may not need to be extensive. However, in these buildings, there may still be problems underlying many coats of paint, for example, that are not immediately detectable by visual inspection alone. Paint and other coatings can often act as a binder that holds a surface together while concealing significant decay inside the window itself. Thus, any inspection of even a well-maintained building should include a systematic probing of the components of the window sash to determine their true structural integrity. So more common are the rehabilitation projects that are initiated well after routine maintenance has fallen by the wayside. A cursory visual inspection alone may give the impression that the windows need to be replaced simply because of their poor aesthetic appearance. Total replacement needs not be necessary. 
many projects have proceeded with the repair and reuse of existing windows after a sympathetic physical inspection revealed that beneath the multiple coats of paint, the structure of the <clears throat> of their pair of replacement uh, should just in enhance a careful evaluation of the windows. And this could lead to their retention and repair at a lower cost than a complete re replacement. So don't move too quickly in doing this. Routine maintenance on windows should be done annually. The first step is to remove loose and flaky paint to expose the surface beneath. Mechanical stripping systems or hand scraping tools that do not damage the underlying materials are generally acceptable. Removing all cost of paint is not necessary, but multiple coats of flaking paint may need to be sanded or removed the rough design edges before priming the process again. Next, one should examine the integrity of the sash and window itself. This process includes checking the integrity of the sash, muttons if present, and frame as well as the glass window putty. Look for signs of rot in wood and or corrosion in the metals. Minor areas of decay can be treated in place. If the materials are intact, then the glass and window putty can be replaced as needed. For metal windows, exposed metal should be cleaned thoroughly and treated with an anti-corrosive primer. On a similar basis, exposed areas of wood windows should be primed appropriately and repainted. Care should be taken not to overpaint the gap between the sash and the frame, as not too much paint will result on the window being painted shut. Examine the window hardware and adjust the repair as needed. Examine and adjust or replace the weather stripping on all or any caulking that may be needed. And remember, a lot of caulking breaks down 10, 20, 15 years. But for regular maintenance, only nominal scraping repairs or repainting are generally required. However, for less frequent maintenance cycles, the extent of needed repairs may increase substantially. This prolonged cycle may lead to more extensive preparation for the repairs. Buildings constructed before 1978 are likely to have been painted with lead paint, so plan to remove the paint accordingly. If preliminary inspection levels that large areas of paint are to be stripped, verify by local health department removal and disposable requirements before starting the work. Attempts to accelerate the stripping process should be made cautiously. Sandblasting wood windows is not acceptable. Although low-pressure wash systems seems benign, they introduce a sizable quantity of moisture, which can be quite detrimental for something that's been dried out for over a couple hundred years. So stripping using heat guns is a possibility, but caution is needed since the heat may vaporize lead paint and damage the underlining and joining materials. But pay careful attention to the manufacturer's directions for their use. Careful consideration should also be given to the impact of using chemicals and or other stripping processes on deteriorated areas, as they may exacerbate the original problem and complicate the repairs themselves. So if lead paint is present, sanding and heat or chemical stripping methods will require the use of an appropriately filtered mask and protected clothing.
The next step is to repair damage found during routine maintenance. Cracked, broken, or missing panes can be replaced without removing the sash. Attention should be paid to the type of glass and whether it is appropriate to install modern glass or use crown or cylinder glass as a replacement. For repairs to window sash, remove the sash, temporarily cover or secure the window opening, and repair the sash at a workbench where the window can be securely clamped in place. By removing the sash, care should be taken to disconnect the sash weights when present and secure them for reuse. The weight pockets are located along the vertical sides and can be usually accessed by removing their cover located near the bottom of the pocket. Frayed or broken sash cords should be replaced. Removing the window putty and the glazing the panes. While not necessary, it is advisable, particularly if the heat stripping is planned, since this removal will forestall possible glass breakage as the stripping and repairs are completed. There are two approaches to consider when attempting to repair. The first approach is to stabilize the weakened material and then use epoxy fillers to recreate the surface profile of the affected areas or the missing profiles. This process includes several steps once the surface has been cleared. The wood must be dried and a fungicide applied to the affected areas. The penetrating consolidant is applied next. Once the consolidant is cured, epoxy fillers are applied to the remaining void. The epoxy is then sanded or carved to create the original surface profile. The second method is to remove the decayed material and to to splice in a replacement piece of compatible material. The damage area is further cut into at regular three-dimensional shape and replacement material is cut to fit that shape. The replacement piece is then fastened in place and trimmed to match the surrounding surface. The repair is primed and painted to match the rest of the window. For windows with steel sash frames, the inspection processes are quite similar. However, the repair process can be very can vary dramatically depending on who's applying the process. Steel sash windows can have a different fabrication and installation method than a single wood window as the frames have been welded to the adjoining steel furniture of the building or embedded in adjoining masonry. This fabrication method may eliminate the opportunity to remove the sash sash and framing due to the potential high cost of removing and replacing the materials holding the window in place. Along with the glazing and the sash itself, inspect the condition of the paint, all hardware and integrity and wear of all connections and hinges, and the level of corrosion based on the level of historic steel windows. The maintenance and repair process may be composed of the following steps. Remove dirt and grease from the material. Remove rust and corrosion. Remove flake painting. Align bent and bowed material sections. Patch depressions. Splice in new metal sections. Prime exposed bare metal sections. Replace missing screws and bolts. Clean lubricate or replace hinges or other hardware. 
caulk all masonry surrounds and including around chimneys and roofs. Repaint windows. As the wood windows, peeling paint is unsightly. Surface corrosion may interfere with the initial reaction to pursue complete replacement. The condition of the paint may not be tr a true indicator of the window's structural integrity, and the corrosion needs to be assessed for its effects. Corrosion can be classified in three ways. The first is light. Light corrosion located on the surface of the metal. This corrosion can easily be scraped away and sealed. The second is the medium. Corrosion that has some penetrated, somehow penetrated beneath the surface. In this case, the surface appears blistered by the metal that still remains in its structural integrity. The third is heavy corrosion that has penetrated the surface and caused structural failure, catastrophic failure. The two later conditions may require new material to be spliced into the deteriorated section, or if extensive, requires its complete replacement. Individual windows may exhibit all three conditions simultaneously. The extent of the damage will dictate whether to repair or replace the window. Methods for stripping paint and corrosion from metal sash vary from those of wood windows in that certain metals, particularly steel, can withstand more abrasive techniques than, the appropriate, <coughs> than are appropriate for stripping paint from wood. Depending on the severity, corrosion may, corrosion may be removable by simply using solvents or rust removers with a wire brush. Heavy corrosion may need to be sandblasted. However, note that sandblasting can damage the surrounding materials and the glass. Therefore, care should be taken to protect these adjoining elements. For example, glazing and other exposed surfaces during the sandblasting process. If large portions are to be stripped, removing and safety storing the glazing is advisable. After the corrosion is removed, the bare metal should immediately be primed using a corrosion-inhibiting primer and then repainted. Do not leave bare metal exposed for further corrosion. Verify with local landmarks commission at the SHPO as to what guidelines and restrictions used for sandblasting steel and steel and sash. Also check with your local authorities to confirm any specific practices that include cleaning or, or dipping into iron phosphates, phosphoric acid, or sulfuric acid. These practices are best used if the damage and the dripping process totally re requires the piece to fully immerse in the, the, uh, in the solution. So once the metal has been stripped, repairs can be made. Any bowed sections must be straightened and realigned. Bowing can occur as a result of mechanical impact or from the expansion that occurs on metal corrodes. Determine the cause of the bowing and correct it. If not already done, the glazing may need to be removed and safely stored during the strengthening process. Depressions and pitted areas can be filled with metallic putties, and damaged sections can be removed and or replaced with a splice or Dutchman repair. Here again, care should be taken when welding in the splice, splices to prevent ignition of adjoining, adjoining materials. So both wood and metal surfaces, it is also important to verify the conditions of both the time, lintel, sill, and other associated features. 
slows the slope toward the window to flow away the, the, from the window and would be water tight to keep water out of the wall. As with any maintenance or repair processes, care should be taken to confirm the initial source of the decay problem and correct it appropriately. Repairing and re returning the window to its original location without correcting the source of the problem will simply become an ongoing and reoccurring cycle. Replacement strategies. After a thorough course of inspections and evaluations has been completed, the decision to remain and repair the existing windows or replace them can be made. So part of the decision will be based on retaining the historic appearance of the building, while other factors such as energy operating expenses and maintenance may come into play as well. The vinyl windows and translucent fiberglass panel replacement systems mentioned earlier were that installed as a manufacturer reduc reduction of energy and conservation measures bore no physical uh, <coughs> resemblance of the original window systems that they were replacing. As a result, significant debate has arisen from the unsympathetic replacement of windows with contemporary products that were not visually compatible with the original windows. For windows, two key factors in the appearance of the relationship of the sash width and the glazing opening of the window profiles created by the muttons and mullions that define the individual window openings. Since vinyl sash is much more than the typical hardwood or, or metal sash, the glazing area is smaller. Many common vinyl windows may have fake muttons applied to the outside of the window. No muttons at all or do not use true divided lights. These are uh, according to the standards. Also problematic is the ability to repair or replace vinyl windows in the frame. Since many of the original manufacturers have left the market, if window replacement is deemed the only viable alternative, many window manufacturers do carry a line of stock windows or can custom build appropriate replacements and aluminum windows that match or replicate the look of the historic wood or steel windows that they are in, uh, intended to replace. The appropriateness, appropriateness of these windows should be confirmed by any oversight agency with review of authenticity over the project. While these windows are more expensive than stock windows, the expense may be offset. So if applicable, the use of historic preservation tag credits. Modern translucent fiberglass sandwich panels have not been acceptable replacement for transitional historic windows since they do not retain the historic appearance of the originals, although they have been used while retaining the integrity of a historic appearance which had if previously lost that this will try to bring it back to square. However, like exterior wall cladding products developed in the 1950s, the translucent fiberglass insulated panels of that area are becoming viewed as historic materials in their use of the original construction. Some of these original fenestration systems and skylights from the 1950s sign in the late 20th century and may have had exact replacement difficult. If the 
business may no longer be able to provide an in-kind uh, replacement value. So let's talk about improving thermal efficiency. Historically, thermal efficiency of windows, especially residential windows, have been enhanced by installing storm windows on the exterior of existing window openings. Using modern exterior uh, <clears throat> using modern exterior windows, in addition, these storm this created storm windows, which rises uh, which rises the aesthetic question: if the appearance of the storm windows does not match that that of the uh, the normal double hung windows when the building was constructed, is this a uh, is this a problem for? Uh, repair, restoration, or conservation of these windows. But to offset this problem, store panel, storm panels can be installed on the interior side of uh, interior side of the window. And these create other problems that sometimes have con condensation. These panels provide the benefit of uh, retaining the exterior appropriateness appearance while reducing heat loss. The energy crisis of the 1970s created a clamor for replacement windows with higher thermal performance. While intended for new construction, these windows were, a <clears throat> were also sold to owners of existing buildings who were hoping to introduce, their own or introduce and reduce their own energy cost. Ironically, subsequent studies show that, especially in wood windows, rather than installing new double-pane windows, greater efficiency could be gained by adding storm windows to the proper maintenance and or caulking and weather stripping. Other studies have also found that since the heat rises vertically, greater energy savings could be achieved in less expensively by increasing attic insulation rather than um, the remains strong for multi-paned high-performance windows. Thermopane windows that included two layers of the glass enclosing and airspace were developed in the 1934s, but significant demand for them did not occur in the energy crisis of the 1930s. When the result marketing efforts of windows, manufacturers led to the widespread removal of single-pane windows nationwide. Although removing of existing windows and the associated repairs increased the price of an already expensive uh, product, windows were often replaced with little understanding of how long it would take for the usual energy cost savings to pay for the cost of the retrofit. However, after the, all the aesthetic failures in these replacement windows, the need for double-hung window panes that displayed aesthetic equivalence to historic true divided light windows soon became evident. Early attempts to use some type of mutton system in conjunction with double pane windows were aesthetic failures. The muttons were composed of three dimensional strips of plastic applied over the exterior and interior of the sash to approximate the appearance of a true divided light today. Unfortunately, the gap between the exterior and interior buttons created by the double-paned glass uh, were removed. The numerous historic preservation tax credits projects of the 1980s fosters a growing niche for the new and replacement windows that provided a more visually sensitive appearance.
Many window manufacturers develop what is to become known as simulated divided light. Windows, in this case of windows, the buttons have been built from the same materials as the window sash and are integrated into the fabrication of the window assembly itself. To eliminate the gap between the interior and exterior, metal strips were inserted between the two layers of glass to watch this original drag race. When finally assembled, the muttons appear to have been <clears throat> so when finally assembled, the muttons appear to have been continuous through the glass and provide to the historic older windows they replaced. Early double hung pane glazing units were dimensionally narrow in thickness and in some instances could be retrofitted directly onto the existing sash by cutting an approximately sized rabbit into the existing sash and buttons to accept it. However, this approach meant that in windows with numerous lights, there was no need for a single small double-paned unit in each space which was created by the muttons. While plausible, this method is quite expensive and involves careful evaluation to determine if the windows are being retrofit or they can withstand the loss of structural material needed to insert the window units themselves. Experiments with creating window units that held inner gas and mylar film between the glazing panels resulted in a even more increased thicknesses of the window pane panel. As these variations were developed, the thicknesses began to exceed what could be readily available in retrofit, retrofitting this very important piece uh, of architecture. A variety of other mechanisms and measures uh, were included to prove the thermal performance of windows. They included the development of low E or low emittance, low emittance, coatings that could be applied directly to the glass as it was made. These coatings block and reflect traditional heat so that, depending on the orientation, the coating could keep warmth inside in the winter and radiate heat from the outside sun in the summer. So as a retrofit application, various aftermarket adhesive films were produced as well. Both of these methods presented problems for historic preservationists. The, for the, the, the former required that the removal of historic glass windows and the latter was pretty much in inversely since the adhesin attached film was meant to be permanently installed. Some early films also suffered from poor installation and subsequent thermal expansion contraction problems that caused the film to bubble, wrinkle, and even tear. A recent alternative to replacing the windows itself has been the use of laminated glass consisting of multiple layers of glass with one or more layers of plastic film sandwiched between them. This film reduces ultraviolet light and the heat gains from the sun. Laminated glass can be filled directly in place of original single-pane glazing. That is not a character-defining feature of the building. For example, cylinder or crowned glass has less optical distortions and create wavy lines and ripples. This approach combines the retention of original window sash and buttons in the growing need to enhance sustainability in existing buildings. 
Although improved, thermal resistance was provided by the glass panel of the double-paned windows. Studies found that heat loss also occurred through the sash. <coughs> While not as severe in wood, windows due to insulation properties of the wood, this heat loss was particularly evident in metal sash windows, which were fabricated in such a way as to provide a continuous path for the heat to flow through. This lot can be seen when observing the condensation or freezing that occurs on the inside of the face of metal sash. Window manufacturers solved the heat loss problem by changing the way the windows were fabricated. Instead of forming a continuous path, the interior and exterior facing sections of the metal sash are extruded over a roll separately. The sections are then assembled incorporating a gasket or other material discontinuity that forms a thermal block that significantly reduces heat flow. Many replacement windows fabricated to replace historic metal sash windows now include this feature. Older improvements have centered on the reduction of untreated cold air, also known as infiltration, that enters through gaps between the sash and the frame and between the frame and the building structure itself. For gaps between window components themselves, a variety of measures can be used. Upgrading or adding weather stripping can significantly replace infiltration. Compression metal weathering stripping mechanism can now be installed in existing window frames um, and right next to the sash itself, and it will maintain a constant seal at that location, wherever you put it. Also successful in the installation of weather stripping in the adjacent meeting rails or double-hung windows. Neither of these methods significantly harms the overall appearance of the windows and they greatly improve the thermal performance. For use between the frame and the building itself, a variety of resilient caulking materials have been formulated, as well as a group of expandable <clears throat> as, uh, expandable foams that can be sprayed onto voids and gaps in the window construction. These foams can secure in place and form an impenetrable barrier to moisture and heat, Caution is advised in using these expanding products since they can create pressures inside the wall cavity or leak out of the walls and unexpected windows themselves. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing off. And don't uh, forget to look for the Historic Preservationist on Instagram, IGTV. And... Uh, Come back to us for our next episode here at the Historic Preservation Home Podcast. So, Greg Perry, signing out. Thanks, to everyone, for listening.